Today, I'm reading from Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which we know as the Great Commission. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning to give you honor and praise. As we get ready to hear from your word, I just want to pray for Pastor Ryan. Will you use him this morning for you to speak to us, to guide us in this key passage that, that, that you give to us, your followers, to, to be used by you to accomplish your mission. May you speak to us today. May you bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Morning. Discipleship, the most crucial ministry of this church. I'm just going to be looking at this from a few different angles, looking at the Great Commission, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible. We, we need to look at it for a couple weeks in this series that we're calling Disciple Makers. I was working at a summer camp for kids when I was in college. I was 19 years old, and this camp that I was working with, it was a traveling camp. So the staff team traveled around to different ones. So we found ourselves one week going from Cleveland, Ohio, to uh, we were passing through Amarillo, Texas over the weekend. That was our weekend, driving that far to go to another camp. And, and as we were all loaded into this 15-passenger van uh, going somewhere in, in West Texas, uh, we saw this huge billboard. And it was like, if there's ever been strategic marketing, it was this billboard. The billboard read this, free 72-ounce steak. And I kid you not, the driver of this van full of boys, like literally almost ran into the guardrail. He was making a beeline to get into the restaurant that was there in Amarillo. And uh, our van was filled with 18 to 24-year-old guys. And uh, as we pulled into the, the, uh, uh, the, the restaurant, we, we, we began to quickly realize that it was a little bit of a marketing scheme, but we stayed anyway. It was great. Uh, and as we sat down, we realized that the deal was this. The steak costs $72, but if you eat it, you get your money back. And so we're, we're all like making like $200 a week, and we're thinking, man, I think I can eat that thing. And, uh, and I, I got to admit, I bailed because it was like half of my pay for the week if I couldn't finish the job. And so, but Curtis, Curtis was a man's man, and Curtis was the kind of guy that took like life by the horns and he said, I'm going to eat this steak. And so we all sat back in utter amazement. And the deal was you had to eat it within an hour. And you know, about 30 minutes into the steak, Kurt, Curtis stops like cutting up and, and chuckling and he starts to uh, sweat a lot. <laughs> he's got the meat sweats, right? And he's sweating all over the place and then bite by bite, he just finishes. Now, I wasn't his roommate on that trip, so I don't know how things turned out after that. But he finished that steak, and we sang and belted out the songs of a champion that night at that steakhouse in Amarillo, Texas. It was a lot of fun. As I think about the story of Curtis and that huge 72-ounce steak, uh, it makes me think about discipleship, actually. And the reason it makes me think about discipleship is the way that Curtis took down that 72-ounce steak is the same way that we take down the world, one disciple at a time. And so as we, as we dig into this today, I want to I invite you 
uh, to think maybe differently than you ever have, to have an open mind about a familiar passage. Because if you've been around the church for any time, you, you know uh, this passage of Scripture, and uh, we're going to ask God to, to really work uh, in our hearts as we think about it afresh today, as we think about what it means to be disciple makers. So here's my big idea of where we're going today. Disciple making is an identity before it is a responsibility. Disciple making is an identity before it is a responsibility. Now, you're going to turn to your neighbor, and hopefully you've got good coffee breath, and you're going to say to them, this right here, if you're in Christ, you're a disciple maker. Ready, set, go. Ah, no, 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 no. Let's try that again. Let's try it again. All right, here we go. Ready, set, go. Yeah, now we're going to figure out what that means. So let's dig into Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and just really unpack this great commission passage here. So let me set the stage for you. Can you, can you imagine this? Jesus uh, and his disciples are reconvened together for a moment. Here is a man, Jesus, that lived with these men for three years, uh, called them to himself, called them to something bigger than they were, and then he died right before their eyes. And, and to make matters worse, they left him all alone when he died. They weren't with him. They, they denied him. They kind of went their own way. They, as the, the scriptures say, they scattered uh, like, like sheep when the shepherd was struck. And, uh, and the disciples are a bit disoriented and confused. I mean, I, Peter, James, and John, they went back to fishing. Jesus finds them out there. Thomas was just angry. And, man, he was, he was just... He was just doubting. He wasn't happy with himself. We all know what happened to Judas. I mean, these guys weren't in good shape. They were very frustrated and disoriented about life. And now to make matters worse, Jesus is gone. But then Jesus shows back up on the scene, and he shares a few words with them. So he makes like six appearances with them. And so they see him, and they get to touch him, and they get to be with him and eat with him, and, and they see that he's the real Jesus. But right before he ascends to go to his Father's right hand in heaven, he gives them these words. He gives them these words that, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and that they're, they're to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching those disciples to observe all that he commanded. And oh, by the way, he's with them always, even to the very end of the age. Let's just pack down, uh, pack, um, unpack a few phrases in here as we, as we dig into this today. All authority. So Jesus starts out by saying, guys, listen, you need to understand that all of the authority of the Father has been given to me. He's been given to me to steward his kingdom. This isn't some rogue operation. This isn't plan B. This is under control. This is exactly what the Father wants here. This is exactly how he's designed this thing to happen. What, you, what I did with you carries weight. You need to think back about those things. You can trust my message, and even just as much as the message, you can trust my method for changing the world, because all authority has been given to me. We often think about the message of Jesus, the gospel, but we don't often think about the method of Jesus. He goes on to say this, 
Go therefore and make disciples. I think this is one of the most misunderstood phrases in the Scriptures. Because typically when we think about this phrase, we think that the imperative or the word that, that carries the connotation of action is go. And it's not. It's not the imperative in the passage. The imperative in the passage or the thing that, that is the, the verb for us to act on is make disciples. Make disciples. So when you think about it like that, it's, it's not so much with this part of the verse anyway, about just going, you know, mission trip, mission trip, mission trip. But more than that, it means something like this. As you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. Now that changes the way that we think about what Jesus has called us to do. As you go, make disciples. So in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples and he, he gives them power to, to cast out demons and to talk about his kingdom and to advance the kingdom. And they report back to him. And, and what he says in that, he says, if you meet a person of peace, don't just blow by them and go to the next city. Stay there as long as they'll have you. And really mine out all of the kingdom that you can right there in that community. So I think about I think about as you go, as I, as I think about my own life, I think about what Jesus did with his disciples. Do you remember that one time in uh, Mark chapter 5 where Jesus was on the way to Jairus' house because his daughter was sick? You remember somebody came to him and they said, Jesus, my little girl's sick. you got to do something about it. You're the only one that can do anything. So Jesus listens and he says, you know what, I'm going to go do something about that. I'm going to go meet with Jairus in his house and, and, and see what's going on with his daughter and on the way there, Jesus and his disciples had started to draw a crowd. And that crowd came in and they were pushing in around him. And Jesus, you know, he wasn't really, the, the crowd for Jesus wasn't the thing that enamored him about kingdom ministry. In fact, a lot of times he avoided the crowds. But in this one instance, what we notice about Jesus is there's this crowd around him, but he notices this one woman. He doesn't notice the whole crowd. The crowd's pushing in around him. He notices this one woman. We don't even know her name. The scriptures say that she had been bleeding for 12 years, which would make her unclean, unable to worship. Uh, in, in the synagogue, you know, she, she, she was an outcast in society, and Jesus notices her because she has the faith to reach out and touch a rabbi. It would have made him unclean to reach out and touch him. And he says, whoa, 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 let's stop this thing. Power's gone out from me. Somebody touch me that has faith. Somebody touch me that has faith to believe that I can heal them, that I can make them well, that I can bring the kingdom of heaven into their lives. And he stops. As he went, he stopped and he noticed and he saw people. That's what I think about when I think about the Great Commission. As you go, you see people. And we see Jesus doing that over and over and over again. And, and you know, in the same way, he says, as you go, don't just go to people that are like you, but go to the ends of the earth. Go to all the nations. This isn't just for the Jewish community. This is for the entire world. This mission, this lifestyle, everything that, that I've come to do is to go to the world. And I, I know that's going to require some faith for you guys to do that. Because it's really uncomfortable to be around people that live differently than us, isn't it? I know that's going to require some faith, but go and do that. That's how my kingdom is going to come to earth. And I, and I just think about the things that must have flooded their mind as they heard that. That, that one time in John chapter 4 where Jesus and his disciples were, 
were on their way somewhere, and Jesus goes out of his way to go to Samaria to heal a woman's soul that's, that's at, a, at a well in the middle of the day who's had all these husbands. Her life was a wreck. And Jesus meets her and he sees her. He intentionally goes out of the way to, to, to bring the kingdom of God to her life. Then he goes on to say, but here's how you're going to make these disciples. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Now what we see about that is there's this, there's this priority of, of baptism, which for us symbolize, symbolizes justification. It's a once and for all kind of thing. You're baptized, and it means this, that you're justified once and for all from your sin. You know, whenever we, we baptize children, we baptized a couple kids last week. For them, it's when their heart becomes baptized, when they receive Jesus Christ by faith. For a believer's baptism, it's, it's, it's whenever they receive Jesus, they're baptized. And so it's this kind of once and for all thing. It's not, it's not that they're not going to sin anymore, but, but the, the gospel has power to cleanse them, even for their future sin that they're going to commit. And so he says, there's this once and for all kind of thing that I've come to do to these disciples, but, but also they're, they're to continue to grow. So, it's, so in one sense, it is finished, but in another sense, it's never finished until Jesus returns. So he, this, is what he, this is what he thinks about, this is what, how he wants to teach them to make disciples, is that discipleship is not this one and done kind of thing. That's a part of it, that's the entry point of it. But it's about teaching and, and growing and being formed in the gospel as we look at the scriptures and we look at our lives and we ask the Holy Spirit to make those two one. This is what you see as discipleship. Jesus commanded his disciples to go out and to give their lives to others because he had given his life to them. He said, follow my method. Not just my message, but my method. And so in light of this, what I want to look at for the remainder of our time is this. Is I want to look at the identity of a disciple. Because oftentimes we think the Great Commission is what Jesus has just told us to go and do. But we cannot go out and make something that we are not. We're all disciple makers, church. The question is, what are we disciple makers of? We will reproduce what we are. So as we look at this, I just got three directions for you. Now, this isn't original to me. I don't know who it's original to. But the identity of a disciple is this, up, in, and out. And as you think about that, I want you to think about spokes on a wheel. If one of the spokes is broken, the wheel doesn't work the way that it needs to work. These are the three movements, the directions that we need to be moving as disciples of Jesus to be in alignment. So up, in, and out. Let's look at, at number one, up. First, the, the identity of a disciple is a call to be filled with, connected to, and transformed by Jesus Christ forever. It's a call to be filled with, connected to, and transformed by Jesus forever. Now, before Jesus was crucified, he took his disciples up for one last Passover meal together in Jerusalem. And, and as he was up there with his men, they were all gathered around the table, even the one that would betray him. And, and he finally reveals to them at this time, a little bit more clearly, that, that he is actually the lamb that's going to be slain. Not this, not this physical lamb that's in the table there in front of them that they're getting ready to feast on to celebrate their, their deliverance from Egyptian slavery. But, but he's the actual lamb who's going to be slain for the forgiveness of their sins, for their rescue from that. And, uh, and, and because of that, 
because he lives, because he's risen from the dead, the only way that we live is through him. The scriptures call that abiding. Abiding. So I want you to flip over to John chapter 15 just for a few minutes for us to think about what it means to, to have this upward connection with God all the days of our lives as his disciples. John 15, 7 through 11 is what, part of what Jesus taught around that table that night before he left them. It's one of these spokes on that wheel of a disciple. He says this to them, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. The motivating factor of us being disciple makers is remaining in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and the, the motivating factor of remaining in Jesus Christ is this, is God's love. God's love draws us to himself. It's our source of joy, and our primary mission is to remain in Jesus it's, it's to stay with him, to stay in him. Oftentimes we act as if abiding is something that's just kind of normal. Oh yeah, all Christians do that. You know, if that were the case, why would Jesus talk about it as, as if it would require faith and effort to abide in him? He says, hey, by the way, you're going to be tempted to these disciples. You're going to be tempted not to abide in me, to go your own way. And the reason is, is because Everything in me and everything in you wants to be disconnected from the vine. It thinks that there's a better way to live that is not in Jesus Christ. And it's subtle in most of us. Sometimes it's really obvious. Some of us struggle with, with unrighteousness where, where we don't think that Jesus really loves us because of the shame that we feel for the lives that we've lived. And so we, we don't remain in him because we feel like we don't deserve him. Others of us struggle with, with self-righteousness, which means that we, we feel like we do not need Jesus' love as much as we do, and so we branch out on our own. And the key, no matter how you struggle in this life, the key is, is that you remain in his love. That's the primary call of the disciple. That's the key to making disciples of Jesus, is to remain in the love of of Christ. And the way that we sink ourselves more deeply into this identity of disciple makers is to sink ourselves more and more and more into his love. That's the call for us. This is what Jesus came to do is that we might actually believe that God loves us. That he's not mad at us. That he's not disappointed with you and what your life has become, but he loves you. And it's only when we believe that and we live in that that our lives bear fruit. And then what do we prove to be, according to John 15? We prove to be disciples. We prove to be disciples by remaining in him because a fruitless life is a disconnected life. I've got this, this tree branch in my yard that it was one of those that was like, like 
25 plus feet up, and I'm on a 24-foot ladder with a chainsaw hanging off of it. I mean, my neighbors probably got their video camera out. And, uh, and I, the chainsaw got stuck in it, and I couldn't get the branch off, and so I just said, I'm just going to leave it because I don't want to die today. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been watching that branch, and, uh, you know, a week later, it's, it's brown. You know, it's not, it's, it doesn't have any life in it anymore because it's not fully connected. And, you know, it's still hanging there, but it looks way different than the rest of it because it's not connected to the vine anymore. It's been cut off from its source, so it's only a matter of time until what? Until it falls, hopefully not on one of my kids, and breaks, right? That's what it's like to be disconnected. Now, you are going to know better than I am how you disconnect yourself from the vine. You're going to know that. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more in tune you'll be with that, what it's like to step out from abiding. But that's the first key to being a disciple is our upward relationship with him, abiding in him. The, the, the second thing is this, is in. It's a call to experience transformation and community. You and I are not disciples in a vacuum, isolated on our own little foreign island. We are, we are the church collectively. One of the things that you notice about the early church, if you read through the book of Acts, is that you can't keep these jokers away from each other. Have you noticed that? Like Acts 2. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They gave to anyone as they had need, no matter how much it was. And every, Acts 5, and every day, you know, from the temple uh, to house to house, they kept meeting together. Every single day. These folks couldn't help but do church. You know what I mean? They wanted to be together. And where did they get that from? From Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, my discipleship group, like this is my discipleship group. My discipleship group meets every other week, Thursday mornings, 5.30, 7.30. No, he didn't say that. He said, come follow me. You want to know where I'm going? Come follow me. Set aside your life and come follow me, is what he said. Now, now, now the, the, the call to experience this transformation in community is so foreign to us because we like to pick and choose who we're going to share life with so that we don't get hurt and too exposed, right? That's what we do. And some of us do that for good reason. We've been hurt. We've been taken advantage of. People have, you know, have made it not easy to share life and to be vulnerable, and so we manufacture these other ways of doing church other than this inward call to experience transformation in community. But Jesus' way was always that we might be with him in the context of community. Listen to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is when Jesus called his disciples to him. He says, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, Key words right here, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That he might be with them. As I said earlier, Jesus, the, the context of this passage is that Jesus wasn't enamored with crowds, but the crowds always found him. Now, he, the scriptures do say that he had compassion on the crowds, but it was, but it was because they were like, like sheep without a shepherd. But out of this crowd, out of, this, out of the bigger group, Jesus chooses to spend time with the few. Now, i got to confess, 
Um, just like the American church, I am enamored with crowd ministry. I love to get up here and preach and to share the gospel with, with you guys. And, and I'm hopeful that the church continues to grow because it's healthy. But if this is what we call discipleship, we are way off the rails. We'll never produce the type of disciples that Jesus has called us to if this is what we call discipleship. Because why? Because it's not what Jesus did. It's not how he did it. I mean, you think about it. you got the best preacher in the world. Jesus, right? And he preaches like one sermon that we've got recorded in the scriptures. If it's not the way that he did it, why do we think that's the way we make disciples today? It's about these smaller groups, these communities that we, that we are forged more into the image of Jesus. He selected disciples that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Now this verse has completely altered the model of how we have decided to structure this church. It's the reason that we started with a couple small, a, a small group of men and a small group of women going deep in each other's life. It was counterintuitive. People thought we were dumb. They were crazy. Where's your church meet? We're like, I don't know, in my basement. You know, it, you know we, get, we get together and we go deep together and, and, and they couldn't make sense of it. But now, as we think about moving forward as a community, as a church, we see how important and crucial it is to go deep together because crowd ministry is not what leads to transformation. It can play a part of your formation in Jesus, but it's not the sole source of it. That they might be with him. That they might be with him. Disciples of Jesus are not built on an assembly line. They're not built in a classroom. They're not built in a worship service. Disciples of Jesus are built as you go through life. Amen? That's how we're built. And this is our model, and this is the key to what we want to experience as a church. My, my friend Jeff calls it this, the laboratory of life. He says that, that's what we're involved in when we, get, when we commit together and, and share life together like Jesus and his men there did. Is we're committed to sharing deep life and experiencing what God has for us. I mean, you think about Acts chapter 4. The, uh, the council is trying to make sense of these two you know, these Jewish boys that are up there preaching and people are getting saved and, and they weren't even like the cream of the crop kind of Jewish boys. They were kind of the lower tier. Hey, listen to Acts 4.13. Here's what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, fishermen, keep, it, keep that in mind, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. I mean, these guys were nothing to write home about. They were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Think about that. Being with Jesus in the context of a community of people that share deep life together changes everything. It does what no schooling can do. It does, it does what nothing else can do. It's the way that Jesus has called us to be transformed. Now lastly, so up, the call up to abide with Jesus the call in to experience transformation through community, the call out to a mission bigger than ourselves. So the call of a disciple is the call of a disciple maker. I remember meeting with guys before we planted our first discipleship group and asking them a few questions. One was this, what do you think it means to be a disciple? And some people would answer that question. They would say, you know, 
going to church, being in a small group, giving money when I can. They would, they would talk about all these kind of spiritual practices. And they would ask this other question that would really throw them off. And it was a question that I was just discovering myself, by the way. And it was this, what do you think it means to be a disciple maker? And I ask you that question today. What does it mean to be a disciple maker? Because that's what Jesus called you to do. So we as a church want to equip you to be who Jesus has called you to be. It's got to be our whole mission to make disciple makers. Because that's how Jesus is changing the world. Listen, Jesus was always honest about it. Matthew chapter 4, when he called those first men, listen to what he says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And, and he said to them, hey guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we just kind of overlook that sometimes. But immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the, the sons of thunder, as the scriptures call them. They got that nickname from somewhere. And in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. What made these hearts, what made these men's hearts sing? What made them immediately respond in faith? Jesus was connecting their hearts' longings with their current reality. He saw them as what they were and what they could be, not only as this future you know, better version of themselves. Oh, come on, guys, I'll teach you how to really do it. He said, no, 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 no. In fact, I'm going after you guys, not the guys that are in rabbi school right now. I'm going after you guys because you've probably learned a lot more about how to build my kingdom out of this boat with your dad than you would in a school anyway. Because you know what it's like to be discipled. Your father discipled you in the fishing business, you know. You begin to see Jesus connecting the dots for them. And the mission was not just to follow Jesus, it was that they might be fishers of men. He always had this vision for sending them out, not just staying. And this is where it gets so toxic when we think that discipleship is simply just getting around the Word together and thinking about God's Word. Now, that's part of discipleship. But if we stay there, we turn into what we see in the Scriptures, Pharisees. If our hearts are never connected to the mission of disciple-making, we only have one option, to become Pharisees. Jesus was vehemently opposed to these guys because they knew God's word, yet they didn't do anything with it that built his kingdom. And my heart for our church is that we might be so different than that. Church, I don't want to kid you, disciple-making is tough work. It's messy. You want to run away sometimes when you get exposed and somebody, you know, ask a question that, you know, you don't want to answer. But it's the best kind of work to do because it's the only place that growth happens. At the end of my life, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, let me, I have, I have a 91-year-old professor, Dr. Robert Coleman, wrote a great book called The Master Plan of Evangelism that's actually all about discipleship. And I was asking him this summer, I said, Dr. Coleman, how do you spend your life now? I was expecting him to say, yeah, I'm retired. I go out and hit some golf balls when I can. He said, no, 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 I get up. He's like, I get up with this group at 5 o'clock on Monday mornings with, with this group, you know, ten or 8 o'clock on Thursday nights. And, you know, I'm just continuing to do the, the same old thing I've always been doing, making disciples. 91. And, and this quote from Dan Rather came, came to mind. Uh, he said this one time, I'd rather wear out than rust out. 
that's my heart for us as a church, is that we would, we'd be worn out at the end of our lives, but we'd look back and see all the fruit of remaining in Jesus, investing in deep community, and living on mission. Now, I'm going to do something different here. I, I'm actually going to invite Megan, my wife Megan, and Erica Choi up on stage. Would you guys welcome them up? And to, to close the sermon today, I just, I just asked them to share a little bit about their journey with Jesus and, and uh, what God's been doing uh, through that. So, Like Ryan said, discipleship groups and discipling relationships are taking place all over this church. And so there are many, many stories of God's faithfulness and transformation around and in this church. And we get the opportunity to share with you just a little bit today. Erica has been in my discipleship group the last few years. And so I'm going to give you guys the privilege of getting to listen to Erica's heart a little bit about discipleship and the transformation and the power of Jesus within it. Erica, could you tell us just a little bit about your discipleship journey? Yeah, so I came to faith in college through a ministry called Campus Outreach, which is a ministry that just in and of itself like really values discipleship. So literally as long as I've been a believer, I've been in something like a deep group, discipleship group, something like that. So it's something I really value, something I've seen a lot of growth in my life happen through. And when Patrick and I, we got married four years ago, a couple months later we were at New City, and I connected really well with Megan. So that fall, I joined her group. And so for the past four years, every other Wednesday night, we just sit in Megan and Ryan's living room, just with other women, and we just talk about life. We pray, like, huge prayers together. We're just in each other's lives, and we study the Word, like, we dig really deep in the Word together, and then we do studies to help us just kind of understand all of that better. And it's been huge for me. I just, like, everything Ryan was just saying, like, I see discipleship as the backbone of Jesus's ministry. So I, I have to know that it's important because that's exactly what he modeled for me. And I just see so much, like, transformation that has happened, like, in my life and, like, the other women in our group's lives. So I know that it's true, that the reason he showed us this way of living, this way of living community with other people is on purpose, and he had a great purpose for it. So that's what it's been like for me. Um, about halfway through our year this year, we chose to rename our discipleship group the Fight Club. And we made this, it was because we made this intentional decision to stop going after what was easy and to bravely enter into battle with each other and for each other in prayer and her questions and accountability and in cheering each other on. And I think that our group truly became this place where our, our sanctification became even more so a community endeavor. So can you speak a little bit into that and the effect that that had on you? Yeah. Um, so I think the catalyst, I guess, for all of that, it really started with the vulnerability of a few women in the group. Because like I said, I have been a part of a group for years, something like a D group. But I really only let the value of them go, you know, so far in my life because I was choosing to hold back certain parts of myself from these groups. And we've probably all been there a lot. It's like fear, you know, letting people really get to know you and really what's going on in your walk with Jesus. And I worked in student ministry for years, and anytime I lead a group of girls, like a small group or something, I always tell them at the beginning, you're going to get out of this what you want to. 
And basically, it's like, it's up to you. Like, you can choose to be open and go deep and really grow. Or you can just, you know, use this as another way to just hang out with some friends. So it's really up to you personally. But I wasn't even listening to my own advice. (laughs) Because for years, like I said, I was just holding back certain things. But one great thing that we do in Megan's D group is we share our stories with each other every single year. Even if it's the same people we've been in group with, we share our stories. Because there's sometimes new people. And then what I found is just over time, Jesus is just empowering me to be more and more open about my story. Because a couple years ago, we were at a retreat. And I just remember one woman opening up about her past and her story. And there were some really painful and hard things in ways that, you know, they're still affecting our lives. So it was so important to share it with us. And it happened again the next year, someone else just opening up about something so real, and they were so vulnerable and honest and authentic. And I just remember going home both years, so two years in a row, and I was just thinking, what? what's holding me back from being authentic with my group? And what it was was just fear. <laughs> it was fear of being rejected or just people seeing me, perceiving me differently. But it was also a cheapening of the gospel, which was big. Because it was as if saying, you know, I want to share the pretty part of my story, but just kind of gloss over all the really ugly parts. It's really like saying Jesus' sacrifice for my sin like wasn't as big and awesome and miraculous as it really was. Because it was. <laughs> He literally took me from death to life, and the people in my group were only seeing a part of that. It's like they saw the overall picture of what Jesus had done, but they didn't know why. He's everything to me. So last year, I shared everything. It took me a while to get there, but just being in this group and having this kind of DNA as a group, it it made me feel safe enough to share with these women who love Jesus and they're pursuing Jesus with me. And it was so worth it. And just the grace and the prayers and the love that I've received has been huge. And I think for our group, it just, one after another, is just women being brave and just really trusting Jesus with these things and with each other so that we could see, like, huge growth in each and every one of us. So that's why we're Fight Club. But we can talk about Fight Club (laughs) in our Fight Club. (laughs) And it's just been... It's just been awesome. It's been the biggest source of growth for me in my walk with Jesus. Brad Pitt is not in your group, right? No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's a secret. (laughs) Okay, what do you think the ripple effect or the domino effect has been from discipleship group in our church, in Mm -hmm. our group, and just in your life? I think for the women in our group, there's honestly been revival. And that's a strong word, but like we have seen Jesus just shine light on things that were in the dark for so long. We're able to talk and pray about things that we might not have ever talked about before with anyone else. So that's been huge. And then I think personally, like I've seen it play out in different relationships in my own life because being freed up to share with my group has freed me up to share things with my family members, friends, and people I'm praying are going to come to faith and just be open with them. And it's like sometimes when God is doing something in your life or showing it to you, you know how you see it just over and over again, just in different areas of your life. It's like a pattern. That's how I've been experiencing this. So it's just been a breath of fresh air for me, for people I know, for our group. And then I think the way that it affects our church is, I mean, 
D groups are the life of this church. And so if, any, if Jesus is doing any good thing in any one of these groups, it's bringing life to our church, and it's doing something good. So our church, I know, experiences that as well, just how much this is transforming people. And like I said, I've led students in a lot of different areas and contexts, but I care so much about this and just see how much it's done in my life that next year I'm going to be leading a D group myself. And I just want to carry on this authenticity, this vulnerability, and this chasing after Jesus and the stop of chasing after things that are easy. I want to take that to another group and just multiply out that way. So something I'm really excited about. Erica is multiplying her life out to lead others, just like many, many of you have, just in the freedom of the gospel and to equip them to do the same. And I can honestly say that even as a leader of a group, the women that I've walked alongside in these groups through the years, and Erica as well, I, I wouldn't be the same, but the transformational and exponential effect that Erica and others have had on my life, I don't think could have happened outside of the context of a discipleship group, the safe space and the equipping context of this deeper call of a discipleship group. Thanks, ladies. That's it. That's the call to keep doing the same old thing with new people for the rest of our lives. Lord, I, I thank you for the call and the privilege it is to know you, to be called yours, to be called out of darkness into light, and to help other people walk in the light as well. Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would help us to do that over and over and over again for the rest of our lives to be disciple makers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.